0: Hmm. such a it, it really brings into a perspective of what you would consider bad you no know, versus good you know and so what when I think about good studios I think about studios that are pretty transparent with their fan base and their customers um, ones that aren't too focused on, making more money after the sale, you know? So for me, a studio often gains bonus points or at least brownie points by releasing free content, but then also having content that you could purchase that is gonna be way more impressive and game-changing than the free content. You know, so I would say one example is Monster Hunter World for me, where a lot of monsters and a lot of equipment and um, new skins and new, um, I guess I want to say companions, most of those were free. And then it was uh, Iceborne where you paid like $40 to get almost a completely new game, you know, with new mechanics and new armor and even new, you know, monsters going on. So, it was just it's just one of those things where it's like i think every company is not exactly all white and all black but what what's the company that defines more positive than negative you know and if anyone wants to take that question they can
1: i'm just going to say the only lead up we had to this podcast was say your favorite studios and your least favorite studios and what the fuck? Like when did we decide we were gonna go like plunging deep into this? Like I didn't realize I had to write a book report. Jesus Christ, Dave. Like every question you have is like, tell me your philosophical opinion on the on the current status of how our studios are reflected in real life. Like what I thought that I was gonna talk about how much I hate RPGs and therefore Bethesda sucks.
0: Hi guys, gals, and non-binary pals, this is Couch Co-op, and uh, today we're going to be talking about studios, but first of all, Matt, what have you been playing over the last couple of weeks?
2: You know, I was still enjoying my way through Judgment, and seeing as how we're talking about studios that we dislike in this episode, I have to make a small little footnote for Sony... Because I have the PS now, and I was utilizing that to play Judgment, and they yanked it straight out of the catalog. So now I can't finish the game. I'm probably halfway through. (laughs) And and it's a total grinder, too, where you just hours spent just wasting time (laughs) in this fake Tokyo neighborhood. So I don't think I'm going to go through and purchase it. I'm kind of in this weird limbo where, like, last time we had talked, I was saying I'm in the post-Hades, like days and now i'm thinking i've downloaded and i've started twice now but haven't gotten through the intro uh the near automata and uh, i think that that's going to be my next undertaking
1: uh near is one of those games and and i i gave it an, an attempt actually that when you talk to people about it they really say that the more you stick with it, the the further you kind of delve into multiple gameplays. The story continues to unfold, so you you tend to provide a lot of time for your games that you get into, Matt. I think that might be a really good fit. Uh, I hear the storyline becomes really dense, intricate, and and rewarding for for those who put the time in. Nice, uh,
2: yeah, definitely looking forward to see what happens. So. Um... Yeah, I believe that's what I'm doing next. What about you, Jack, what have you been doing? Well, I've actually had a pretty fun couple of weeks. Um, I checked out moving
1: out, and it's pretty much it's pretty much overcooked, but like way clunkier. But I was playing it with Kennedy, and we were just having a blast. Like you basically you run into a home, and you have to throw all their furniture out the windows. There's no repercussions for like busting their crap up, and you're just piling up into this van the when i was reading like reviews about the game people were complaining that the the movement was a little clunky and a little a little um just just wonky but i think it adds to the charm of the game it's it's pretty fun to like try and get around these like obstacles especially when you're you know playing a co-op game and you're, you're fumbling around and it's not it feels like moving because in moving like you're trying to go around the corner, and like the other person doesn't move it the way you want to. The next thing you're hitting the
0: wall, and you're like, "Ah,
1: oh, damn it!" So it really does—it really does emulate the feeling of moving very well. Um, so that's pretty a pretty fun game. If if you like uh, overcooked, those couch co-op games, I, I would definitely recommend this one. Uh, just note that there is no online option like there is in the second uh, overcooked. Um, on that note, multiplayer games. Me and Dave started hitting up uh, Operation Tango, um, which uh, we've discussed a game. a game called a game called a game called. Um, no, it's um, we were here, uh, a game that basically two players are playing the same game, but they're not. They're not playing. They're not using the same uh, screen and. What you have is you have to communicate to kind of solve puzzles. And um that for for a free game off PlayStation now uh or maybe they released on PlayStation Network a few months back, it's actually been pretty damn fun. Um the game glitched out on us recently, so that was a bummer, but um yeah, I'm getting long-winded, but I gotta talk about Curse of the Dead Gods. I I went back and checked out this again, and it's really hard not to compare to Hades. Everything about Curse of the Dead Gods is well done. Like, the combat's solid. The atmosphere is good. Everything's really crisp and well done. And it just speaks to how damn good Hades is that I cannot get into this game. Because I want to. I'm like, this is the kind of game I should like. It's it's this isometric dungeon crawler where the combat is really smooth. And yet, it just doesn't move the same way. Hades moves so fast and, and so fluidly. There's no, like lore that Hades has such beautiful lore and, and so such creative uh interactions and in this and it it's just really weird because this game's so damn good and yet um it just doesn't just doesn't pop. And finally um me and uh Dave are both playing uh the last of us remastered together which I don't want to dive too much into this because I'm I'm feeling we're gonna probably cover this on a later pod, but I'll just say I'm really impressed with how well the game has aged and uh, it's been pretty fun listening to uh plumber uh, play, play it on easy while I'm rolling around on hard. And he's, he's bitching about how hard the game is. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sneaking around on hard difficulty. <laughs> so, he and
0: he's ahead of me yeah. So on top uh, of that. I just got I'll the fall. I'll let you take it from there. Plum. But yeah, I just got the fall, and I am, I, I played it on normal and, I was thinking, you know what, I don't want this challenge. I'm just gonna put it on easy. And I still try to sneak. I try to be mindful of the kind of mechanics that they wanna in- implement. But when it it came to situations where I knew I was facing off around 10 people, that's when I got my shotgun out, you know, and I got my bombs activated. I was just like, I'm gonna just go full Rambo on these guys because it's easy just, just to speed this up and make it a bit more entertaining. So I'm definitely playing a uh Joel in a role that I don't think they really wanted me to go into, but uh, I don't want to talk too much about the game. Uh uh why I dropped it in the easy and want to keep playing it is because the dialogue has been fantastic. Um the the storytelling is spectacular, the gameplay is pretty fun, it looks pretty smooth, especially for a game that came out on the PS3. So I'm definitely invested into it and I'm getting pretty curious about the second game. So I don't know if I'm going to pull a Mass Effect 2, you know, or at least a Mass Effect Legendary and just go balls out into two games back to back, especially something as deep as The Last of Us. But um, it's definitely on my radar now. And then I've uh, been utilizing my upgraded console situation, thanks to uh, one of my co-hosts who helped secure me a PS5 digital. So uh, I've been playing a little bit of Ratchet and Clank. In fact, I played some before the podcast and got concerned that I would miss a podcast. So I had to, I had to cut it off. Unfortunately, I was having a ba- uh, blast playing it, but yeah, I've been just playing those two games and it's been chugging along pretty well.
1: Those two games are about as different as you can get for uh, linear
0: storytelling. (laughs) I'm loving the contrast, you know, like there's a point where um, I got to fall and I was like, that's enough, like super intense me killing another human being with a shiv to the throat. And then jumping onto something like, you know, Ratchet and Clank where it's a lot of awesome colors. You're really getting to implement the controller of the uh, PS5 a bit more. You know, it's such a smooth game, and I'm having a blast with that, too, so it kind of cheers me up.
1: (laughs) I love the weapon system in Ratchet & Clank. By the time you get deep into the game, you have maybe 17 different options, and the button that you hit to switch the options pauses the game, so you just get to, like, go through this, like, candy store of choices to how you want to destroy your next foe and it's, it's so much fun and they all feel different. And it's so everything just pops in that game. It's not one of those games that's going to blow your mind, but it's just downright
0: fun. Yeah, exactly. So, um, well, speaking of, uh, fun games, let's get into what the heart of this podcast is, and it's about studios. Uh, the entities that produce these games. Um, And there's this focus on studios because even though a lot of the times the publisher can have a pretty negative effect on a studio, uh, sometimes they're just left alone to do their own thing and they get published as is without too much interference. But would you say that I guess my thought is, does the negativity that gets applied on the studio solely from the distributor or the publisher, or is it, do you think at some point the studio just gets corrupt? Matt, do you have any insight into that?
2: I mean, I think each instance is going to be incredibly unique. Um, you know, there's many, many instances where a game has failed miserably because a, a studio was not given enough time or was brought in at the 11th hour and expected to work a miracle with a product that just wasn't ready to go. Um, I think it's very difficult. Like that's, it can such a broad question because right now there's so many of these major houses that just control so many major studios right now that it's like, yeah, I can talk a lot of shit about EA, but If I'm going to boycott them, I'm going to miss out on a lot of fun stuff. So I think if I'm looking at a bad studio, like my textbook example is going to be Konami, where here's a studio that made some of the most beloved games of all time for me. Going back to the Ninja Turtle arcade games and Sunset Riders, you know, Metal Gear is the big one. And they have since reached a point where they realize they can make more money off of making mobile games and pachinko games than they can actual video games. And so they just kicked all this stuff to the, to the wayside. And all these beloved series that you know I've grown up with and enjoyed seeing new iterations of are just abandoned altogether. And they have no desire to do anything with them other than occasionally slapping a solid snake onto a pachinko game to attract, you know, Japanese only fans. And yeah, it's, to me, that's just such an insult, but that's just such a classic way that the Japanese economy works where it's a lot of the time it has very little interest in what the fans want and is completely only concerned on what's going to bring in the most money.
0: yeah, my I guess the studio that really just has turned it's such a, um, has really turned around towards a bad spot would be Activision Blizzard. And I think this is just one of those situations where um, once I got bought out by Activision, a lot of things changed and it really kind of just turned the studio into... I mean, something that it might have been on a smaller amount and just allowed it to grow to the point where it just got pretty rotten. And I would say the last really, I don't know, from my experience, the last really well-done game was StarCraft II. And that was, what, 10 years ago, probably. So, you know, that was a situation where ever since then, it's either been some really... Obnoxious loot crate drama, or it's been um, the whole Warcraft just IP has been mishandled dreadfully by them with the whole remaster of World of Warcraft just falling flat. And then what they did to World of Warcraft, where they just really didn't give the players an option to play on the classic mode. And they ended up playing on this new mode that just really implemented a bunch of uh, Poor mechanics so and and now like they got the whole latest scenario with sexual harassment and you know rape that kind of stuff so i don't know i feel like the the stuff i mentioned last is probably something that's just endemic of big culture studios it It happens in entertainment probably across the board. It's not an excuse, but um, I think it's something that it was just like, it got called out pretty hard and brushed a bit under the table. It kind of, it got its like five minutes in a spotlight and just disappeared somehow, you know? So I don't know if all studios deal with that or it's just Blizzard, but it's just so many other things. Overwatch, the way that's being handled, and how poor the second game reception has been because it's, it's getting packaged as a game, but it seems like it's just more of a, a really large DLC being thrown onto it. So I don't know, Blizzard's been a disappointment. Um, I, had a, I had a blast with uh, World of Warcraft, or not World of Warcraft, but Warcraft Three. And I had a friend that played World of Warcraft and I love sitting down and just watching him and explain what his character was doing. And it seemed like there was a point where Blizzard was the industry standard. And now it's just kind of turned into a bad situation. Something you want to avoid most of the time.
2: I was going to say like a uh, good example too, would be like the Diablo three announcement where they said it was basically going to be mobile. And it was such a like flippant response when there was outcry from the fan base. Meanwhile, <clears throat> one of the most popular games going right now is the Diablo two remaster that just released. And, you know, what does that tell you? It's like sometimes your responsibility when you're creating entertainment like this is to give the fans what they want. Um, you know, there, there's straddling that line of, you know, advancing your product and creating new innovations, but also delivering what people are hoping to see. So, um, I think that that was a good example of a company that just, again, similar to Konami, just was completely focused on what they felt was going to maximize their bottom line. And uh, that's always upsetting when it comes to an entertainment product.
0: Jack, do you have any opinions on this?
1: Um, I try not to comment too much on what I, I, a lot of these are like really hot button topics, very controversial. And frankly, I just haven't, spent enough time researching this kind of stuff to have an informed opinion so i don't really want to touch upon like any of this super i mean obviously everybody everybody is aware at this point that some really um unfortunate and irresponsible behavior was occurring at blizzard um but i just don't really know that much about it i don't i love video games i don't want to taint my I want to taint my video game experience by reading about what a bunch of assholes these guys are. Um, so uh, anyway, wh- I guess what I was, I guess, I guess my thought is um, you're asking like what kind of effect these producers have on the studios. And for me, the, the line becomes so blurred between like what is the studio? What is the producer? For, for example, when I think of like my, when I think of my least favorite studios, I think of Bethesda um, and all respect to those people who enjoy their games, because they do, they do make quality games and they produce quality games. Not they don't just make them, but one of basically any game that comes out of Bethesda, I kind of have an idea that it's not going to be my uh, my forte. So,
2: I think Bethesda, especially, is tough because in certain cases they've taken IP that again was beloved. Like perfect example in my instance would be Fallout where they took one an iteration of a game I loved and have turned it into something completely different to where now it's almost indistinguishable from just a random first-person shooter. And that's just so unfortunate to me because so much of what made me fall in love with Fallout was like the quirky storytelling and just kind of like the focus on just like more the, uh, you know, I guess the lack of, in-depth action and more being able to kind of slowly take a step back and like really see everything that's going on. So I don't know, that always frustrates me where it's like now it's become something that I have zero interest in playing ever again and it's just being made for a
0: completely different audience. So with Konami, do you feel like the the departure of Kojima really had the biggest impact on the studio or at least was its way of showing a a dark side to its business you know when he left
2: you know i i agree with jack in the sense that like i don't know enough to have an affo- informed opinion strictly speaking from what my gut tells me is that he had reached a point where he kind of needed to go because it, it's like a director a hollywood director that does really, really well. And each time they do an amazing movie, that budget keeps getting bigger and the expectations keep getting bigger and they keep demanding bigger and better crowds. It's like kind of look at like Christopher Nolan. It's like every movie he gets now has like the biggest budget ever. He has like an audience or a cast that's nothing but A-listers. He can film wherever he wants in the world. And at a certain point, that's going to break. Like at a certain point, the studio just can't continue to make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's Kojima to a T. It's like every game he wants to tear down the whole engine, start something brand new, create some completely new, innovative perspective on everything, which is awesome from an artistic standpoint. But that's on the other side where it's like they do need to make money at some point in order to afford these ventures. And some of his games weren't making money as a result of all that legwork that goes into it. I think that they use his departure as kind of an excuse to gut the remainder of the company as just kind of like saying like, Oh, well he bailed. So now we can kind of put this ill will and, you know, negative feelings onto him more so than absorbing what the fans were, you know, all the backlash they were getting for essentially just kicking their whole gaming industry to the curb.
1: Well, look, I'll, I'll, stuff, I'll say this, right? Dave, you, you were talking about in all seriousness, I've been, I've been shooting you shit. Cause this was all kind of unexpected, but Um, you were talking about what like that gray area for studios and how some studios really kind of go the direction of exploiting their consumer base because they know they can get away with it. And other studios that really kind of um, take the long approach and are like, well, we've really got to earn the respect of, of our, it is a tricky question because the bottom line is everybody's out to make profit. Just like what, what is the way you go about that? And if you're going to talk about the two ends of that spectrum, I mean, absolutely, there are those studios that completely take advantage of the fact that they have a captive audience. For instance, there's no, people love playing video game basketball. There's not a whole lot of options for that. If you want a quality experience made by a studio with lots of money behind it, you're going to play 2K. For years, I played 2K for this. There was no there was no way I could get angry at that game and jump over to a, to another studio's rendition of it because they had the characters, they had the models, they had the money. And so when they take advantage of what, what is, for all intents and purposes, a monopoly um, and never a good thing in any kind of, uh, for any kind of consumer. But in this specific example, when you're talking about video game consumers, they're still going to play video game basketball and they can NBA 2K can exploit the fact that people are very competitive in that game and want to go online and they want to play against their friends and beat their friends, beat random strangers. And to do that, they basically put major paywalls around the fact um, that you're trying to make your player as good as possible. And so they put all this this little stuff in there where you got to pay for your outfit. You got to pay for how good your guy gets and how quickly he gets good. And I think that's really exploitive. And I think you see that in a lot of studios that take advantage of the fact that they know there isn't a lot of alternatives for their consumer base to turn to.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, though, I would prefer that over the instance we saw with EA. Um, what was it, the Star Wars Battlefront one, where you had to play X amount of games on top of the, all that in order to unlock certain characters? It was, it was some, 40 hours. Yeah. It to was unlock
0: just, Luke or Darth Vader.
2: Yeah, just a ridiculous amount of time, just just to do something like that. It's like I, I don't like that, but part of the reason I don't like that is because it's not something I grew up with. I also think a game like NBA Two K for certain people is one of those everlasting gobstopper type things where somebody's willing to sink two hundred bucks into it because they're going to play it for a whole year until the next iteration yeah. comes out.
1: And you brought up this point on a previous podcast, Matt. Just how what, what a game provides is, is relative. Cause I mean, sure. You can bitch all you want about how NBA 2k they, you know, they exploit their consumers. But I mean, if you're providing somebody a thousand hours of entertainment and their name's not David, they're probably going to be pretty happy with however much they end up having to pay for that game. Um, now <laughs> If, uh, if you're like me and you just want to jump on because you, you, Ten years ago, you used to be really hooked on this game. Well, my reaction is to be really angry because I can't just jump on and have a good time without one this this huge skill this huge skill issue. And the fact is, everybody's dumping a lot of money into to make their characters better.
0: Um, that was something I felt that Rockstar took advantage of in a GTA Online, or even Red Dead Redemption Two Online. <clears throat> where you could buy superior stuff. If you uh, just pumped enough money into the system, or at least you could put yourself into a situation where you're getting XP boost, you know, which effectively, you know, just makes a game a bit faster for you. So, you know, rockstar is pretty um, obnoxious about it, but I mean, I just don't hear too much negativity about it. I mean, they're pretty upfront, you know, they, they do a lot of, you know, deals where they make the currency much cheaper. I'm not saying that that's good, you know, that that's a positive thing, and it should like not overshadow the fact that, you know, if you pump enough real money into GTA Online, you can buy yourself a space laser that just eliminates any server player in your server. And they put a time lock on it where I think it's 24 hours before you can fire another one. But still, nevertheless, you know with the right amount of money, you can eliminate anyone you want to in that game, you know? So
1: I would push back though, in rockstar's defense that one, they're selling a single player experience that is built that the initial payment you make for a game like GTA five or red dead redemption two is built around a single player experience. The whole concept of GTA online Really didn't take off until months and even to the point it is now, years after that. So, at this point, if somebody's still playing that game, they either got it heavily discounted for the base game and now they're just paying for their online how they want to experience that, or they've gotten, like Matt said, thousands of hours of entertainment over years of time. And beyond that, there's just not the same level of com- competitiveness in in those games as there are in a sports game.
0: Yeah. Um, But still, it's the fact that, you know, someone can purchase up. Um, Matt was mentioning Battlefront. The first Battlefront game, if you ordered a pre-order version that was like the middle package, uh, you got Han Solo's pistol. And that thing just melted people. I was watching highlight clips of some dude just going on 13, 14 killstreaks before someone could stop them, but you know, that's like every life. So his kill death ratio is still ridiculous, you know, even if he didn't pull, you know, a 16-0. So anyone that spent like 15 to 20 more dollars just automatically got a pretty substantial advantage in an online match, you know, where most people are probably just gonna pay for the standard game and not have access to this beast of a weapon. You know, so that that's a scenario that, you know, I'm kind of like skirting on. I don't really consider Rockstar a a really negative company. I think they're more of a company than most of the other gaming companies are because they just found something that works and they're just pile driving it to the death. You know, so many um, complaints about Red Dead Redemption 2 online is that there's just not enough content, you know, coming out. You know, this is a game where in the game you rob a bank and you rob a train and those mechanics still are not in Red Dead Redemption 2 online. That Those were the things we were daydreaming about when the game came out and knew that there was going to be an online aspect to the game it was like, it's going to be a lot of fun to play, plan a bank heist, you know, and get away with it. And you can't even do that. So... And there's a big reason why, and it's because GTA Online makes way more money than Red Dead Redemption 2 does. So that's for every like update or release on Red Dead Redemption 2, GTAs had like two to three. So, you know, they just know where the money is and they're exploiting it like a company.
2: I would also say, though, too, that the style of play in GTA 5 is, I mean, I have almost no experience with it online, but... It's seemingly more akin to like goat simulator than versus like red dead where like red dead, it's like had such an amazing campaign. And yeah, I agree. Like the whole time I was playing, I was like, this would be so cool if the multiplayer thing is even fraction as good. But, but I feel like what actually has kept people really engrossed in the GTA five world is because it's just so chaotic and so goofy and random. And, and there's so many vehicles and access to things that people just, Have literally dedicated hours and hours and hours to just experimenting with trying to do the most ridiculous stuff and you can't really do that when you're on a horseback in the mountains you know in that environment like there's only so many times you can like take a running leap and hop off stuff and they didn't implement enough like modification sort of things like Skyrim for instance like I feel like that's really the only way they could have gone is if you had like a lot of little like Mini game, time waster sort of things where you could build yourself up and they, they kind of were heading in that i think with the jobs and all that but i just don't think that that's as appealing to people as seeing if you can take a dirt bike and land on top of the tallest building by caroming off of you know three other buildings and then hitting a jet fighter that somebody else is flying you know that sort of crap
1: yeah i, I percent agree i think the world of of gta is just so much more conducive to what you want to accomplish for uh, a sandbox online sandbox experience
0: no bank heist no train robberies it's horseshit literally anyways
2: um i also you, think too some of it is um honestly like why people are playing it because i think a lot of people play gta 5 for streaming And I think that it's much more entertaining. You get much better content when, again, there's so much chaos and randomness going on all around you than there would be in the environment of Red Dead, where it's a little more slow-paced, a little more build-up before you engage with anything. So that could be a factor. Because I know in 2K also, um, part of the reason there is an appeal is because if you are a streamer or playing online like that, like there is the component of like seeing all the different characters and the shit talking and all those sort of dynamics. And I certainly remember being on the playground, seeing people who just seemingly are running all around just for, you know, to, so people that can show off all the different shit they bought for their character.
1: And I mean, how are you going to complain about the online experience of a game that offers a 100 hour single player campaign and upon release didn't even have an online component like they never they never marketed themselves as an online as as a game that was really going to succeed by how good their online game was going to be everybody just assumed that because they had put so much money and GTA 5 had had so much success but from day 1 it was always about that campaign mode
0: yeah that's true still say la vie. Porsche <laughs>
2: You know, another one I was going to consider, another one I was going to consider bad, honestly, was CD Projekt Red, uh, only because my only experience was Cyberpunk. And I feel like that I really didn't appreciate the way the company conducted themselves leading up to the release of that game. And I'll, I'll go on record and say, like, I didn't actually hate that game. Like, I thought it was just kind of mediocre, despite all the hype. And, but I'm not disappointed I played through it all. Uh, What pissed me off was just how they were so braggadocious online about saying like, oh, yeah, we're not going to have crunch. We're not going to have this. We're going to implement all these gameplay features. Oh, we're going to be the first ones to do this. Oh, you're going to customize all this crap. And then when it actually came about, they totally went back on all of these things. And then what they released was a fraction of what they said they were going to do. And again, it was okay. Like, I wouldn't have been disappointed if they just didn't say shit. And they just release something with it's a completely new environment because honestly when i think back on it, in hindsight their reputation is that of one where they release the game and have continued to work on it and built up that trust over the years by constantly reworking it until they get it right and you're kind of slowly seeing that with cyberpunk i'm not saying like anything good will come with this one but if they ever do do a sequel I feel like they will have almost everything actually fine tuned with the world they've built now just from constantly tweaking it. But still a lie that was like the bad faith for me was just, you keep saying all these things, you keep acting like you're this holier than thou company. And then at the end of the day, when it came down to it, you just did what all the other ones do, which is you overworked your staff, you rushed something out, wasn't complete. And then you tried to pretend like, oh yeah, no, it, this was what we were trying to do all along. And it's like, no, clearly this wasn't and now it's showing based on the amount of work they're still putting in on it.
0: Yeah, I was gonna bring up games and what? how does the release of a game affect what you think about them. Um, Ubisoft's pretty notorious for having some pretty big failures. Um, was it uh, Assassin's Creed Unity, was it? During the French Revolution? I think that's what it was called, that one. That one just just about killed that game. Um, Anthem with Bioware, uh, another failed release of a game. Um, we could go down a list some more. Let's see, Cyberpunk we already brought up. Um, quick, uh, what what's that Green Hell game you're playing? Is that what it's called, Jack?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I. I consider it my own damn fault for not going on Reddit and doing some research. I mean, everybody complains about these games dropping. It's like, why are you buying games two weeks before they come out? Half of them suck when they come out. Why are you prepaying? And then why are you buying them instead of going online and reading some reviewers or finding some people that you like to listen to I just, I think the whole like idea of these bum launches is, is kind of overblown based around the fact that people were just, smart enough to wait a week after release to basically experience the exact same game cyberpunk wasn't going to change there was no component of cyberpunk that was going to change a week after it was released but everybody's so caught up in the hype and like oh this thing is releasing that they do it to themselves like you just just wait a week read reviews that's when you know i've told dave a million times why are you pre-buying this shit wait a week you're gonna know if it sucks or not within a week and then you save 60 bucks
0: It was the greatest game ever made, Jack. told you that. (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, for me, uh, a game that I ended up really loving and have a really good opinion about, and I'm impressed by the studio, was Disco Elysium. And when they had ported it over to the consoles, it had some pretty big game-breaking bugs. I don't mind small stuff like okay so maybe you know a panel on a wall shifts in and out here and there or whatever that's fine but um I got stopped dead cold in the middle of my game because there was an item that I couldn't see that really progressed the story you know through a point so I had to sit on that for about two weeks before I could pick it up and play it again because it took them that long to patch it up and there was plenty of hate but um the whole time they were they were pretty responsive, you know, for the most part. There's a couple of times where they went silent and kind of fueled the flames of uh, anger from the um, consumers. But, you know, it was just one of those things where it ends up, it fixed itself. Some people were able to get around it, some weren't. And um, they just ended up playing the game and liking it, you know, so that, that was a game for me that was messed up on release. Um, division that was so messed up i mean we're starting to see a trend that's ubisoft i brought up twice right but the first division i don't know who designed this but you get in the game you create your character your characters in a room with all the other characters that are human players in that server and there's one computer laptop that you got to walk up to to register so you've got 20 players all jamming on this thing trying to get in and it's like destroying their servers. So um I had friends on the headphone being like, Why aren't you in the game yet, man? This game's so awesome, dude. Get in. We need we need another guy. And I'm like, I'm trying. And like just really getting angry to the point where I was like, I'm about to refund this fucking game. This is such bullshit. So, you know, I ended up um getting in and enjoying the game quite a bit actually I was pretty impressed by it but still uh, it's just kind of one of those things where now Ubisoft I always have a very like I'm just kind of like "Ah, I'm not sure I'm gonna have to wait you know and that's what I'm doing with Battlefield 2042 is I'm gonna give it a good week or two before I even think about picking it up because I'm just not I just don't want to get burned like that again and they're so notorious for burning people you know, so (laughs) it's like Jack said, you know, it'd be my fault if I went and pre-bought this game and, you know, was disappointed by it, so.
2: I have, uh, maybe I'm going to be a little too much of a philosophical Dave on this one, but um, how much do you guys think that that's something that may become a thing of the past now that the trend is less focus on the physical copies of games and more focused on actual downloadable versions? Like, do you foresee more studios basically saying like it's releasing, but it's basically beta for the first two weeks and just let all those hardcores run in and play the shit out of it when it's still buggy and it's not officially released, but that way they can really work out all the kinks for the true like release to the more casuals. Or do you think that, it's just no matter what, like something that we're just going to always have people releasing and there'll be bugs and they'll eventually fix them a month later.
1: Yeah. I don't have any problem with kind of shaky releases as long as it's transparent. I think going back to uh, CD project red, the information they were providing leading up to the launch of that game was incredibly misleading. It was downright disrespectful to to their their consumer and I I mean honestly in a lot of ways it it was probably illegal but when you have these studios that kind of the the easiest way to beta test something is to have a huge audience go through it and so the the best way to kind of improve upon a game is to release it and maybe it's not completely finished but it's like you said, Matt, the people who really want to play it are going to jump in. Yeah, some of them will be angry, but in my opinion, once again, that's on them. You know, they, they should have done the research. And, and, and if, they're that, if they're that discerning about what the game is going to offer, well, read a couple of reviews first. And as long as the studio is respectful to their audience and continues to support it, uh, a great example for me was um, Subnautica. When Subnautica went to consoles, it was a broken mess. And I just, every couple months I would just check in on it. And eventually I picked it up like a year after it was out and I had an amazing experience. And so, um, it's just kind of up to the individual consumer to to say, Hey, this is when it's worth it to me to jump in, um, green hell. I made the mistake of not doing my research. It's not ready to jump into, but if that studio does what they say they're going to do and continue to support that product, then eventually it'll be waiting for me and I'll enjoy that experience.
2: Yeah. And I guess, too, like even with Cyberpunk, like that's what I was saying, like the current iteration, you know, we saw what we saw, but the key component to it is they built a whole world from scratch and it's something they're unfamiliar with. So if they do continue to build upon it, now they have the template. And that means that if they do ever do a sequel or if they do decide to try to do a revamped online version, they have the skeleton that's kind of the direction they can go i mean that's how gta 5 has been able to do it is they lay the groundwork with the campaign and then everything has just been tweaking and modding and working with you know the established you know bones so to speak
0: Mm -hmm. um has a has a developer ever gone rotten turned you off from getting one of their games
1: Well, I mean, you could say that's the case with 2k, but in most cases, my attention span for a specific type of game does not last long enough for me to kind of run that gamut of, of going from when, uh, a studio is at its creative peak to when it really kind of starts to fall into the cesspool of money-making and profiteering. Uh, Matt, you gave the example with, um, I mean, was it, was it fallout? Yeah. I've, I've just never had that. And, and I think it's kind of, I think we touched on this earlier. Um, I don't have the same history with a lot of these studios as you guys do. What I played when I was a kid is much different than when I play now. And what I played as a young adult was much different than when I play now, I've always kind of um, adapted my video game playing to, to completely different um, styles. And therefore I, I really haven't had it wade through that cesspool to try and enjoy the, the, uh, the joys of what was once a glorious rent. Uh...
2: I was going to say, uh, the one I can think of is early two thousands when, um, that's when like Jack had talked about in 2k, how they have the exclusive deal with the NBA. And, uh, I can't remember the exact year, but there was a year when there used to be 2k football, there was a college football, and then there was Madden football, and you always had kind of this option every year of which game. And each year, a different one usually would take the title for best, best football game. And then all of a sudden, EA made an exclusive deal for Madden football with the NFL. So 2K NFL fell off. And then the college one also, uh, they because uh, I want to say it's mid-2000s, they were starting to have the the lawsuits about the uh, player likeness. So they stopped altogether making the college edition. And then it literally became the only football game you could play was John Madden football, which if you ask me is when I was a kid, if that, that would be a problem, I wouldn't have any qualms with that. I think that's awesome. But the reality was, was part of what was making Madden so cool in all these iterations was because they were getting pushed on multiple fronts For different innovations and different styles of gameplay and 2k being more of a simulator and less arcadey forcing them to kind of focus in on more aspects of gameplay that they didn't traditionally do so that that was an era honestly when i stopped really playing Madden religiously um you know it used to be a game that i'd pick up every year no no question asked and then after that kind of happened i forget which iterations there were the one i used to play with you jack but I just remember it started falling off and I just like lost interest altogether because it wasn't really pushing for anything once there was no competition anymore.
1: Yeah, I brought up monopolies a little bit ago in this podcast and how they are a detriment to the consumer based on, you don't have a choice but to play their game, but you just brought up the flip side of that where when you have a monopoly, there's just not nearly as much incentive to innovate and to distinguish oneself from the pack. And I think then you find studios that um, just kind of realize they can appeal to the lowest common denominator rather than try and impress an audience. They just try and give the audience exactly what they want, which is, which is what any studio can, um, well, not any studio, but any, any studio with a, a really good budget can do, um, as opposed to trying to get creative and, and um,
2: Yep, and then you get the filthy casuals. Dirty noobs. Filthy casuals. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Dave, I think that's enough negativity for the night. What do you say?
0: Yeah. Yeah, It'll be fun to talk about something good for a little bit.
2: (laughs) All right, I think we've said enough for uh, bad video game studios. It's been Couch Co-op, video game podcasts.
1: not what I expected at all. It took me like a solid 20 minutes to like completely flip it and be like, okay, we're not talking about this.